Dr. David Ireland is with us today, and um, we are so thrilled and blessed to have him with us today. Um, we have uh, been crossing paths in several different ways. We have been a part of a 30-30 pastors kind of uh, uh, event where pastors gather together and pray and, and hear from the Lord, and uh, we've gone to Washington, D.C. together. Uh, each year, we're a part of the Concerts of Prayer Leadership Prayer Summit, and uh, Dr. Ireland has taught at many of these different events, and every time he teaches, I'm, I'm taking notes, I'm downloading everything because he is rich in the Word of God, and I thank the Lord for him and what he does. Dr. David Ireland is the founder and senior pastor of Christ Church, a 9,000-member multi-site congregation in North Jersey representing over 70 nationalities. Former diversity consultant to the National Basketball Association, Dr. Ireland has led chapel services for the New York Giants, the New York Jets, and prayerfully someday the New York Yankees, and at the U.S. Pentagon, Dr. Ireland has uh, traveled to more than 75 nations and built a reputation of teaching culturally, culturally relevant messages that inspire and empower his global audience. He is a well-respected columnist contributing to such media outlets as Fox News, Huffington Post, and Pathias. Dr. Ireland is the author of over 20 books, including Raising a Child Who Prays. Dr. Ireland has appeared on numerous TV and radio shows, including the Dr. Phil Show, the CBS Evening News, the 700 Club, and Focus on the Family. Through his Community Development Corporation, he offers a home for victims of domestic violence. And I want you to know today that we're thankful that he's here to speak to us. Now, hey, I want to tell you this one thing. He's going to come up now. And he's going to share for a few moments an opportunity to read some books, some really great books. I want to encourage you to get all of them. But may I really encourage you to pick up the book on racial reconciliation and just making a real, I, I want to make a real concerted effort as a church to understand how we can truly become everything that God wants us to be as a church. And that includes racial reconciliation and really being comfortable in our skin, loving people of different ethnicities. And so please go out there. I want you to get that so that you can help me be a better person when it comes to that. But let's give it up for a big Long Island welcome to Dr. David Ireland. to be here, and as Pastor Steve has mentioned, our paths have crossed over the years in many different contexts, but it's good to be here in Valley Stream. And in fact, I grew up not too far from here in Rosedale. And so, some gasps, I'm saying, good riddance, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but I grew up not too far from here and went to Brooklyn Tech High School and then from there to New Jersey and I've been there ever since, but uh, my roots are here in New York. If you detect a little bit of an accent, because I was born in Jamaica, uh, West Indies, and came here when I was eight years old, and so my accent is a confluence of many different places. But I brought some resources with me. Here's a CD album titled, This Is Us. It's dealing with family. And so I talk about conflict in the family, singleness, and dealing with uh, 
this what it means to grow in that area. I've been married for 35 years, and my wife and I have two children, two adult daughters, and so I understand uh, what it means to parent and to be a husband, to be a dad, all those kinds of things. The book that Pastor Steve was referencing is my latest book titled One in Christ. And so I get called into a lot of settings where people are very different. I mean, I've spoken in places like Slovakia. And so, you know, and my book's used as a training manual in Ireland, the country of Ireland, in helping with all of the, the, the divisiveness that's there. So I come alongside of you not as some technical expert, though that is an area of expertise, but as a coach. To say, hey, let me help you, let me coach you on what it means to get along with people that are different than yourselves. And then another book titled, Activating the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? How do they function? How do I activate them in my life? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this little gizmo called a drop card. On the back, there's a code. You go on the computer, you plug the code in, and you can download onto your smart devices all kinds of sermons, and this one is themed, God praying God's promises. Here's another, how to make hard decisions. And so, just want to give you access to that. I'm going to get this out of the way so I can get right to, thank you so much, Pastor, so I can get right to the Word. How many of you are ready for the Word? Yeah, okay, good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, let's bow our hearts together. I like to pray before I teach, and so... Let's just bow our hearts together. Father, over these moments together, I ask that you would help us to open our hearts wide to the Holy Spirit, influence us, shape us, help us to become the people that you've called us to become. In Christ's name, amen. amen. My topic today is the door. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we're going to capture what Jesus had to say in verse 7 of Revelations 3. We're nearing the end of another year. And what we find out is that there's seasons and cycles to life. And there's some areas of our lives that need to be closed and some areas that need to be opened. And we have to understand that God's intimately involved in those decisions that we have to make. And in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus is speaking to John the Apostle, and he says, This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. I am the one who is holy and true, and I have the keys that belong to David. When I open a door, no one can close it. And when I close a door, no one can open it. Listen to what I say. The scripture references King David, an Old Testament character that was a type of Christ. As a king, David had the authority and the ability to close off doors of his kingdom to his subjects. He also had the authority and the ability to open doors of access to members of his kingdom. Jesus says, I have that same ability. I have the ability on a global, transnational, transgenerational level. I can open doors to you that leads to God's will for your life. And I can close off doors that you will not venture away from God's plan for your life. I can do those things. 
And so I want us to see that there are doors that God wants to close and open for you. And we should be thinking about this, particularly as we're towards the end of the year, looking back over 2019, looking ahead at 2020, and asking ourselves penetrating questions. May I say to you that to some things and to some people, you must close the door. To close the door, it means to end a dysfunctional business relationship. Don't keep playing with it. It means also to cut the financial cord of a draining venture. You're just throwing good money at bad money and it's never getting any better and you keep hoping it's going to turn around. No, 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 no. If God in the heavens has closed the door, you here in earth must close the door. So to close the door, it also means to end a romantic relationship that is toxic. It's disturbing and dishonoring to the core. And you have tried, it's not working. At least the confusion and the ambivalent nature of the relationship, it must come to a close. And so we have to think about it. To close the door means to wake up and realize, wait a second, you've been leaning your ladder against the wrong building. You're climbing the wrong ladder. You're on the wrong train. You're on the wrong bus. You're on the wrong highway. Where are you going? And so you're not going and getting to your destination, not because this road is bad. It's just not your road. And so you've got to close the door. To close the door means to settle an issue that the wrong path, like the wrong bus, like the wrong train will take you the wrong way. And the wrong path will lead you away from the known will of God. The longer you delay in closing the door, the more you lose your identity and farther you get away from your dreams. Paul weighs in on this conversation in Ephesians 4 verse 26. The apostle says, In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So the apostle is saying, look, our emotions can go sideways in a minute. But Paul says, put some boundaries around your emotions, particularly your emotion of anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, settle the issue, solve the problem before the sun sets. Make that a rule. If you don't, you're giving the devil a foothold. Now, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, classical Greek, K-O-I-N-E. That word foothold in the Greek, it captures a smaller object, a toehold. Someone's trying to close a door. I stick my toe right there, and that door cannot close. Paul says... If you give the devil a little toehold, he'll influence your whole life. So there are doors in your life that need to be closed. Don't play with it. Don't toy with it. Don't hang there looking at it. Don't inspect it. Don't go through a scientific analysis of it. Don't check out the density and thickness of the door. Close the door. I remember this guy in Haiti. He was living in a uppity part of the community and he wanted to sell his house. And back then, this expensive house was valued about 100,000 American dollars. Nobody came to look at it because they said, this thing is way too pricey. I can't afford it. 
Several years on the market, nothing. No bids, no, no interest. Finally, a guy comes and says to the owner, I'd like to buy your house, but I can only give you half its value, $50,000. The owner laughed and said, what are you, crazy? I'm not giving this thing away. But there were no other interests, no other bidders. So the owner came up with this, this witty idea. I'll sell you my house for $50,000 under one condition. The guy says, name it. He said, the owner says, you own the house, you own the land, you own everything, but I'm going to drive a nail in the doorpost of the front door on the outside. I own the nail, you own everything else. I mean, the guy thought it was ridiculous. I own a stupid little nail, four inches long, about a quarter inch thick. What do I care? I can't even hardly see it. I'll just paint the thing black to match the door. Can't even see it. So the guy says, okay, sure. They signed contracts, deal consummated, new family moved in, original owners moved out, and so a couple of years later, the original owner came back and said, I'd like to buy back my house because my wife and I have been moving around. We just have been so dissatisfied with everything we had. We just want to come back here. This is cozy. We like it. This is home for us. The current owner said, no way. I'm not selling it. We like the place. The original owner said, I'll give you twice the value. The current owner said, I don't want it. We like the house. You know what the original owner did? He went out and he found the carcass of a dead dog and he came and he hung it on the nail that he owned. And after a couple of days, it became unbearable. The stench, it was so obnoxious. It was, the odor was so strong that the current owner had to sell the house. Why? Because that dead, dead carcass, he had no right to remove it because he didn't own the nail. That's what happens when you keep your door ajar and the devil has a toehold to you. He has access to your life, and when you don't close the door, a stench begins to fill your life because of that one area that you need to know God's will is close the door, but you keep playing around, toying around, fooling around with that door, and you won't close the door. And so I'm here to tell you, close the door. Close it. Now, we human beings, we have a problem. We avoid endings. We, 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 we just don't know how to bring things to a close. And the reason why we avoid endings is because of fear. We are afraid, so we delay closing the door because we're afraid of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, if, you know, the fear of this confrontation. I don't know the right words to say. I may say the wrong words, and I'm afraid. So as a result, I'm just immobile. I just keep the door ajar. I don't close it. Why? I just, I'm afraid. And so we fear because of necessary endings. We don't want it to go sideways. Another reason why we delay closing a door is because of pain. You delay closing the door because too many painful endings in the past. And yet you fear hurting the person that you have to bring a close to a relationship, a close to a job, a close to this. You just don't. One of the things that has helped me is this. I had to make a distinction. There's a difference between being hurt versus causing harm. Oh, sure, there are times when you have to say something strong to someone and bring a close to a situation and a person, a circumstance, a relationship, it's going to cause hurt, but you didn't cause them harm. Now, sometimes I go to the dentist and there's a tooth that needs to be pulled. Oh yeah, there's pain, 
It was hurtful, but it didn't cause me harm. And I have to make that distinction. And so that's what delays us closing doors. Another reason why we delay closing a door is because we think the problem is fixable. And so we keep trying. Let me try this. Let me try that. Let me try the other. Let me try this way. And you try to solve the problem with all these different solutions that you attempt this and that and the other and this thingamajig and that. And after a period of time, it's still not solved. You haven't closed the door. Why do you keep trying to fix something that is not fixable? The stark reality is that there's seasons to life. And closing a door is a necessary season to part of life. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. In other words, there's seasons. And, and we, we love the season of spring, but we hate the season of winter. But it's necessary. We love birth, but we hate death. But, but I want us to see that closing doors is bringing a finality to things that need to be closed. We have multiple services like you do, and one Sunday after preaching, I'm running out of the sanctuary, not running, but walking fast, try to catch my breath, get a cup of water and just get back in there again for the next service. And as I'm doing that, this young guy, about 25 years of age, he makes a beeline to me and he's hurrying in a hurried way coming towards me. And when he gets to me, he says, hey, pastor, can I just ask you a quick question? I just need your advice. I said, go ahead. Let's, I said, let's walk and talk. What's going on? He said, I've been dating this girl for about a year and all we do is argue all the time. He said, what do you suggest I do? And so without even stopping, I, I, without even trying to you know, get fancy words, I said, break it off, end the relationship, you know, call it a day, close the door, it's done. He stopped walking. And so I stopped. And he looked at me like a deer caught in the headlights, eyes just opened up wide. He said, but I thought you were going to help me. I said, I am helping you. <laughs> and then I, I said, Let's, okay, let me be more, more, more instructional. There are five stages to every relationship. Friendship, dating, courtship, engagement, marriage. Did you single people get that? Friendship, dating, courtship, engagement, marriage. As a brother, you are on step two. And step two is supposed to be one of the most enjoyable steps in every romantic relationship. And if you're arguing all the time, let me give you a good piece of advice, some old horse sense. You better run for your life, brother, run. You'll break it off. Get rid of it. End it. It's done. Close the door. You know, just, some people just don't know how to close the door. We just keep, let me try to fix it. Let me try to fix it. I remember this guy was dating this girl named Susie, and he just fell in love with Susie, madly in love with her, head over heels, and he popped the question, Susie, would you be my wife? And Susie said no and dumped him. It broke his heart. It couldn't get over it. It messed him up so much, he had to be institutionalized. And so there he was in the mental ward, and he's in a rubber jacket, and one uh, physician's giving a new physician a tour of the mental ward, and as they get to that room, he looks in the window, the new physician, and he sees this guy with his rubber, you know, in his rubber room in the straitjacket, bouncing off the wall, one wall to another, yelling out, Susie, Susie. So the new physician said, what's wrong with this guy? 
And so the older doctor rehearsed. He said, look, he was dating this girl named Susie, and he popped the question, and she said no, and he couldn't get over the rejection, and he cracked, and so he's here. And so they, as they're giving a tour, he gets to another floor, and there was another guy in a rubber room, in a straight jacket, yelling and bouncing off the wall, yelling out, Susie, Susie. And so the new physician, the young physician asked the older guy, he said, what's wrong with this guy? He said, that's the guy who married Susie. He just, he just cracked. You know, it's, <laughs> the, the idea is that, and I, and I hope your name's not Susie. Don't meet me in the lobby after and say, who, who told you, who told you? <laughs> now I'm, I'm just messing with you. So, so we just don't know how to bring things to a close. Such was the case with Sam, his, his company. They came up with a new health insurance plan that was going to cost them you know, far less money and far more benefits. But the catch was that every employee had to sign off to say they agree and they approve. Everyone in that place signed off except for Sam. So Sam's manager approached him and said, Sam, you need to sign because none of the company, we can't do it. We can't get involved unless we have 100% participation. Sam said, I don't know. I think this thing's a whole bunch of hoax. I don't believe it. And he never signed. Next day, the manager's manager, the supervisor said to Sam, Sam, you better sign this thing. We're all waiting. We all want to get started. We all have health needs. Let's come on, man. Let's get with the program. And Sam said, I don't believe. I just don't get, I can't buy that. I just, I'm not comfortable. He never signed it. The next Friday that came around, because that was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday came around, the owner of the company called Sam into his office at 9 a.m. and said, Sam, meet me in my office right now. And Sam just went right there. The owner had a form, the health form. They said, he said, sign it right now, Sam, or else you're fired. Sam picked out, picked out his, put a pen out of his pocket and signed it real quick, just, you know, just finished it up. And the owner said, that was fine, that was easy. He said, and so he said to Sam, he said, Sam, why didn't you sign earlier when those other guys asked you? He said, no one ever explained this clearly before other than you. <laughs> See, the, the idea is that you gotta bring some things to a close. Close the door. Why does someone have to explain it real simple and easy to you and clearly? You know the deal. The Holy Spirit's been nudging you, prompting you, challenging you. Everything inside of you is saying that this is not right, this is not good, I can't continue like this, it's not sustainable. Well, if you know that already, if heaven is communicated to you in all these ways, all these signs, all these particular indicators, why are you still playing around with it? Fear, pain, you be, it being fixable? It's not. It's not. It's done. Just Ichabod is written over it. The glory is departed. You need to close the door because that's exactly what you do when you know you're about to walk out of the will of God or you're staying in something that God said, I'm not there any longer. Why are you there? Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes of old, you know, old uh, historic preachers, he said he was raised by his grandfather. And his grandfather, he would hear him praying about this man who in the church kept on drinking and struggling with alcohol and wouldn't get himself right. And then one day, you know, young Charles Spurgeon ran down to the neighborhood, as they say in England, where he's where he's lived. He said the tavern. He ran down to the neighborhood tavern and he saw that man sitting on the bar stool there drinking you know, you know, his, his alcohol and young Spurgeon yelled out and says, Elijah! He called him by an Old Testament character name. Elijah! What doeth thee there? What doeth thee here, Elijah? He got convicted and he stopped. Stopped drinking. 
In other words, we need to see when God closes the door, the door must be closed by you. Question, what door has he closed that you have yet to close? Don't let this year come to a close with that door not being closed. Close it. In 1950, Billy Graham was approached with a lucrative Hollywood acting role opportunity. Cecil B. DeMille, major mogul in, from Paramount Studios, called for a luncheon meeting. Billy Graham, Anthony Quinn, Barbara Steinwick, Betty Hutton, famous actors in that day. And throughout the luncheon, they're talking. And then Cecil B. DeMille said to Dr. Graham, he said, Reverend Graham, I'm doing a remake of the Ten Commandments, and I've established a major part in that movie for you, and it's very lucrative. And Billy Graham writes, I looked him straight in the eye with the others listening and told him that God had called me to preach the gospel and that I would never do anything else as long as I lived. There, Billy Graham closed the door, shut. See, some of us, we, we still got it ajar. We're giving Satan a, a toehold, an access to our lives. You don't need to do that, no matter how much money is, is associated with it. At some point in your life, you have to trust God. Why? Because when you are a wholehearted, fully devoted follower of Christ, you go where he wants you to go, you do what he wants you to do, and you trust him for the provision that he's called you to have. And so you got to be able to close the door, close the door. When the Lord called me, I was working as an engineer. I'm an environmental engineer by training. That was my, my first master's is in environmental engineering, and I was doing that. And yet when he called me to preach, and then, and then he said he called me into full-time ministry right afterwards. And I remember closing the door when our church, and closing the door to engineering, that is, when our church was about 30 people in size many, many years ago. And when I told my wife and I, we talked, and we said, let's do what God's called us to do. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet, but I'm trusting God because I can't stay in engineering any longer. The Holy Spirit's dealing with me too much. I can't, I can't keep fighting it. I fought it, and then I went part-time as an engineer. I said, I can't keep doing that. I need to close the door. And when I closed the door, all of a sudden, I started getting invitations to speak in different places. Then other things happened. The church doubled in six weeks, doubled again in six weeks. And I realized that, God, you're so good. I've never looked back to engineering, never looked back to say, I want to go back. No, because I, through the grace of God, closed the door. Why? Because heaven closed the door. I always wanted to be an engineer ever since I was a boy. And so, and, and so God allowed me to fulfill that. But yet, when he calls you to do something, no matter how much joy and love you may have for that thing, it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean that you're not a godly person. It simply means that God has something for you and requires that you close that door that you may walk into it. And when you close the door, he opens the door. And that's my next point. And that is some doors, which include some people and some things, you must open the door. Open the door means to gain access to new opportunities, new sphere of influence, 
or a long-awaited dream. Somehow God has hardwired as human beings that we always want to experience new opportunities, new vistas, new horizons, new seasons. And Jesus spoke to this very point because he recognizes that that's how God hardwired us. In Matthew 7 and verse 7, listen to the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So an open door speaks of an answer to prayer. An open door speaks of an unmet need that finally is being fulfilled. An open door speaks of a big break that has finally come. So you got to see that, that when God does that, I mean, it's just so amazing when he opens a door and you're saying, God, I just, I, I so thank you for opening these doors. I remember I, I was in my home office praying, and I'd always wanted to write for Ministries Today magazine. I said, God, would you open for me an opportunity to write for Ministries Today magazine? I had not even finished praying, and I got an email. The editor for Ministries Today magazine saying, David Ireland, would you agree to be a part of our editorial faculty and then write for us a couple of times a year? I didn't even get a chance to finish praying, saying amen. <laughs> and there it was. Now, and so the opportunity opened, and so I, I did that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 8, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. See, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, my plans required and called for me coming to you guys at Corinth. But I must beg for your forgiveness. I can't come now. Because there's been this great door of opportunity. I've been waiting for it, asking for it, seeking God for it, hoping for it, planning for it, strategizing for it. I didn't know when it was going to come. I didn't even know if it was going to come. But now this great door of opportunity is open to me, and so I'm going to delay my coming to you. Why? Paul recognizes that when doors of opportunity open, there's a seasonality to them. They don't stay open all the time, forever. So when that door opens... The timing is right, walk through that door. And then Paul tells us this. He says, there are many who oppose, and there are, he says, for the effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. So I want you to see that when open doors from God comes to you, don't think that it's always easy. Don't think that there's no opposition. Sometimes there's going to be a lot of opposition. Opposition shouldn't scare you. It shouldn't frighten you. Our church, we were having at one point five, I don't even remember, or six services on a Sunday at our Montclair, New Jersey location. The first one started at 7 a.m., last one ended at 3 p.m. I mean, they're just carrying me out, you know, like almost in a stretcher every week, and then I come back like a zombie. I mean, it was rough, and so we were praying for God to give us property, and in northern Jersey, it's very much like, like Valley Stream here, very densely populated, you know, God's not making more land. After eight years of looking, we found property 25 minutes west of us, 
107 acres, three buildings that total 300,000 square feet of space, you know, soccer fields, base, baseball fields, basketball court on the property, a thousand parking spots. I mean, it was like heaven, Shangri-La. And I said, we're going to take it. And the property was zoned for a church. The moment I signed contracts, all hell broke loose. You ever had a whole town fight you? The first meeting, there was in a regional high school, 1,600 people there, some 16 police officers around the perimeter room, all there to fight us coming into the town. I had to have armed bodyguards for a whole year. Two Marines, just, I mean, big, packing. People say, what? I said, yeah, I, said, I believe in the Bible and Smitten Weston. I, I, got, I got no problem. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, so, and so this is just to oppose us. Over 300 newspaper articles from the New York Times to the New Jersey papers, the Star Ledger, Bergen Record, you know, Daily Record, you know, media outlets like CBS, NBC, ABC, WR, in the Montclair Sanctuary on Sundays with their cameras. And if you tell them, no, don't come, then they're going to say, they're you're hiding something. So they're, they're there. Whatever I preach on, I'm preaching in that atmosphere in my church for three years. So when Paul says, many oppose you, I understand what that means. And here's the clincher. Some of the members of the church were saying, Pastor, if this was God for us to get this property in Rockaway, New Jersey, not far Rockaway, but Rockaway, New Jersey, if this was God, it wouldn't be so hard. I had to tell the pastors, keep them away from me while I fight. <laughs> One reporter came to me and said, Reverend Ireland, did you expect this kind of fight? When just for you to buy a property, and by the way, we're in the property now for some 10 years, and thousands have come to Christ, and all that stuff. But the reporter said, did you expect this kind of fight that you'd be in, 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 you know, to get to church? Did you expect this kind of fighting? What do you think about this fighting? I said, I grew up in New York City. I like fighting. I just, I, just, I got no problem. You want to fight? I want to fight. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, that's, just, that's in your DNA. And there's something about that. And so I want you to realize that that's why, you know, I, I like being in New York. I like preaching in New York. You are, you're my people. I, I, I understand. You know, I tell people, I said, New York, you preach in New York. I said, that's a, that's a training ground for preachers. I said, if you can't preach in New York City, the Christians will boo you. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> And they have no problem with that. They don't sense any conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can't preach. I boo you. I don't see a problem. You got a problem? I got no problem. In fact, one of my guys who finished up seminary before he graduated, he had to do an internship. He chose to do his internship in a church in the Bronx. And so here's a New Jersey guy. He's going to the Bronx. His first time preaching. He gets up. He preaches. When he finished, one of the young adult ladies jumped up and says, that's it. Don't tell me that's it. That's all you got? Come on, man. Don't tell me that's all you got. So he was telling me, he's just, he didn't understand how to do it. He didn't know what to do. And, and, and so I told my wife, that's how it is. And so when I'm in Jersey, my wife says, take it easy, take it easy. It's not New York. But you just, you just take it easy. She grew up in Pleasantville, small little town in New, York, in New Jersey. It was like one traffic light. I tease her, her father's a mayor. I said, you, you don't understand. You don't understand. In fact, she had to preach in the Poconos, and most of the pastors for the concerts of prayer last year, most of the pastors from New York and some New Jersey, and you know, it's probably 90% New Yorkers and 10% New Jerseyans and, and, and Pennsylvanians. And so she's getting ready to preach, and, and most of the times the preachers are men. And so here she's preaching in one of the sessions. Oh, 
only woman preacher that, that year. And so one of the New York women went right up to her. And so my wife's name is Marlinda. Marlinda's standing right there. She's about to preach before she would start. The New York woman just stood up right next to her, like this close. And she just looked at her right in the eye and said, you know what you got to do, right? You know what you got to do. And so my wife's looking at me like, what is she trying to say? I said, you know what she's trying to say? Represent, represent. That's what she's trying to say. She's saying, you better kill it. You better do it. You better make it happen. Hit the ball. You're representing all the women here. Don't strike out. You know what you got to do, right? And I'm saying to you that there's something about open doors and God calls us to open the door. When Paul looked at it, he viewed the open door as a God-ordained opportunity. He realized that he, you know, we got to get these open doors. Same thing I say to you in year 2020, pray and expect God to open great doors that lead to a healthier marriage and a healthier family, deeper walk with the Lord, stronger educational, financial, and vocational success, greater influence in the culture and the community for Christ. You got to pray that way. I love what Alexander Graham Bell said. When one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which is opened for us. How telling. So my question becomes, how can you tell when a door of opportunity is open to you from God? Answer, it keeps you focused on your destiny. Answer, it builds your family emotionally, relationally, and financially. Answer, it keeps your, keeps your morality and conscience aligned and integrated. Answer, it gives you internal peace and contentment. Answer, when God opens a door for you, it leads to other doors that he opens. And all you got to do is keep your skills sharp and maintain moral and spiritual fitness. And so these doors keep opening. One of my favorite shows is, is Judge Judy. You may say, you like watching Judge Judy? Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> and so I, I, was, I got a little bit intrigued by the bailiff, Petrie Hawkin, Hawkins Bird. He always stands there like that. He's just, he's just standing there. Sometimes he's smiling. Sometimes there's a scowl on his face. If somebody's saying something foolish, he just looks at the mean. And so I started to Google and say, well, who's this guy? Come to find out that in 1986, he was transferred to the family court division in Manhattan because he worked as a court officer. And there in Manhattan is where he worked as a bailiff for Judge Judy Scheinlin. And she at the time was a supervising family court judge for Manhattan. In 1989, Byrd went to John Jay College to get a degree in criminal justice. He then got a job working for the U.S. Marshals in San Francisco, the Bay Area. In 1996, when Judge Judy was offered this TV program, Bird heard about it, and so he wrote her a little congratulatory note. In the note, he also says, if you ever need a bailiff, my uniform still fits. <laughs> Judge Judy called his home and said, yeah, I need a bailiff, and I want you to do it. Now, I don't know that Judge Judy, she pulls down some $45 million a year. And so she butters the biscuit for Bird. All he has to do is just say like this, just smile, and just smile, and smile. And I don't know if you know, he's a very strong and devout 
follower of Jesus. In fact, Bird said this, as to his future, his future plans, Bird said, the Bible tells me that God knows the plans he has for me. So I'm content to just be his co-pilot. So he's making several million dollars just standing like, like this. Now, if you ever say, well, hey, what's going on with Pastor Allen these days? I don't even see him anymore. I heard he, he's not at Christ Church, and what's going on? I heard he's working for some TV program. And you just see me, you turn on the judge program, I'm just like this. So like this. Just, just smiling, smiling, smiling. You know I'm pulling down some millions and just smiling, smiling. Just, I, I still love Jesus, but I can smile. <laughs> I mean, but, but I want you to see how these open doors happen. They happen sometimes in such a, a cavalier way, such a nonchalant way. You just wrote a little note, congratulations. By the way, if you ever need a bailiff, all of a sudden. So what we've learned is that there's some things we have to close the door to because heaven has closed the door. And there's some things God has opened the doors to and we must walk through those open doors. But may I end with this? We must also be the door. So you have closed the door, open the door, be the door. The idea is that we're longing to go somewhere. We're all longing to fulfill dreams, goals. We're all longing to have this question answered. Does anyone see me? Do I matter to you? And so every one of us, we're aching to be able to find expression of value. But sometimes we're so consumed with the idea, God, close doors that need to be closed. God, open doors that need to be opened. And we're so self-absorbed with those two elements of life, and rightly so, that we want doors closed, and we want doors open. But have you ever stopped to think, why not be the door for someone else? I love what Bill Treasure in his book, Leaders Open Door, or Leaders Open Doors, what he said. He said, it took my five-year-old son, Ian, to teach me and to remind me as to what a leader is and what a leader does. He says, little Ian came home from school one day, and he's bounding through the house yelling out, Daddy, Daddy, guess what? Guess what? And so Bill yells back, what's going on, Ian? What's happening, little buddy? And when he comes up on his son, he kneels down, he looks at his son, eyeball to eyeball, and then he says, what's going on? And Ian says, Daddy, guess what? You can't believe it. Guess what? He said, what? He said, today, the teacher made me class leader. He said, that's a big deal, buddy. And then he says, what does a class leader do? And little Ian says, I got the opportunity to open the door for everybody. Sometimes we forget that's what we're called to do, be the door. See, the idea of being the door is that we all have this wonderful ability to influence others. And Jesus taught us that he himself was the door, and we're called to do the same thing. In fact, in John 10, verse 7, Scripture says, Then Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus declared himself the door. Now I must admit that there are two levels of meaning for that statement that Jesus made. 
The most significant level, the primary level of meaning when Jesus said, I am the door, is that when you walk through me as the door, I give you access to God's forgiveness. You will never experience this changed life, this born-again experience, this saved life, this pardoning of your sins unless you walk through me. I am your door. I remember when I walked through that door. It was July 6, 1982 at 10 p.m. I sat on the edge of my dormitory bed, just finished my mechanical engineering degree, and I, I was an atheist. And God had been dealing with my heart for over a year. I didn't even know that. And I, didn't, I was just sitting there saying, there must be more to life than getting an education and getting married and finding a pretty wife and getting a nice house and making lots of money, even though I had none of those things. <laughs> I said, God, if you're real. I didn't even know I was praying. I said, God, if you're real, change me. That very moment, I got changed. So I didn't even know I walked through Jesus, the door, and experienced God's transformation and, and, and forgiveness of my sins. I mentioned the two levels of meaning of when Jesus said he's the door. He said, if anyone walks through me, I give you access to the sheep, to the pasture. So that means the second meaning of Jesus saying I'm the door is where we come in. When you walk through the door, the person, you get access to the people that the person knows and associates with their community. And so when I say to you, not only ask God to close the door that needs to be closed and you closing them and then experiencing opening doors, but also third, you being the door, what I'm saying is that you have to see that you have some incredible experiences that you have under your belt. There are people that you know that others need to know. And there are people that are in your path that if they could only get that contact for that kind of job or that kind of person or have a conversation with that individual, it'll mean so much to them in their future. And I'm saying, be the door for them. Open up your life. Give them access to opportunities and people and networking and community and maybe coaching. And you'll find that that person with gifts and skills and right character and a good reputation, all they needed was just one opportunity and you became the door for them. Have you ever watched the show The Dog Whisperer? Caesar Milan is that dog whisperer. TMZ did a little piece on him and they said that he makes through that show $170,000 a month. But then his net worth in 2018 was $45 million from the show from speaking engagements, from books, from executive leadership seminars, and from a line of organic dog foods. Interestingly enough, when he came to this country from Mexico, he only had $100. And somehow, he had this door-to-door -door dog training business, and he met up with a young lady who was 20 years old, Jada Pinkett, who later on became Jada Pinkett Smith. And so Jada Pinkett had four Rottweilers that were unruly. She was a short little woman trying to deal with four huge dogs, Rottweilers. Caesar Milan trained her how to be the pack leader of her four Rottweilers. And so she got married to Will Smith in 1997. Then as he, he's still interacting with Jada, and he, he one day he opened his heart to her and said, you know, I'd love to be able to teach people how to handle their dogs by having a TV program. And she shot straight with him and said, you're not ready for that. And she hired an English tutor for him. And he studied with that tutor for one year. 
got his English proficient and his accent was understandable. And then he is, she started to introduce him to some of the people in Hollywood and he started to train their dogs. And, and out of that then, all of a sudden, the rest becomes history, gets this TV program, The Dog Whisperer. And then you know what Caesar did, which is so, so honoring? He says that it was Jada Pinkett Smith that opened the door for me. And so he was thankful that she was his door. And I want you to see, it's not just famous people. You can be the door for someone. Maybe the neighbor's kid. Maybe it could be a classmate. Maybe it could be a colleague in the office. Maybe you know, whatever it could be. I'm simply saying, don't just deal with closing the door for your life or opening the door for your life. But the third component, which is incredibly important, is be the door. And when you be the door, you're paying it forward by recognizing your climb in life, it came through the doors others opened for you. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here because of your charm and your good looks or your education or your skills. Others opened doors for you to get you where you are today. And I'm saying, don't forget that. Look back and help someone else. When you do that, the laws of sowing and reaping, they're going into effect. Because the good that you make happen for others, God will cause others to make happen for you. So when you be the door for others, God will cause others to be the door for you. It's amazing how it works. I was, I've always been praying for Spain. God, open the door to me in Spain. Open the door. I was preaching in Cuba. I had to get a religious visa. This is years ago. And the religious visa required I had to fly to Toronto in order to go out of the country, in order to get access into Cuba because there was no flights from America to Cuba. So I had to go to Toronto to fly to Havana. And I'm there in Havana and I'm ministering God's word and people are coming to Christ. And there was this, Guy in the back, somehow, I just, my eyes locked in on him. I said, sir, in the back, I want you to come forward. just want to pray for you. Guy comes forward. I don't know who he is. I don't speak Spanish. Hablo espanol un poquito that I learned in, in my high school Spanish class. And, and that's probably the extent of it. And so, and so he's standing there, and then the Lord spoke to me about him. I said, I, I see you. God's called you to be a missionary in Europe. And so I spoke a little more, told him about what God spoke, spoke to me to tell him. That was it. Three years later, I get a phone call from Spain. This guy and his wife had migrated from Cuba to Spain, planted a church in Spain, got connected with a ministerial fellowship of some 80 churches. They're looking for a keynote speaker at their annual leadership conference. He says, I got a guy for you in, in New Jersey, in America. They contact me. I then am in Spain, and I'm ministering there. I took with me one year, and I've been there a number of years now, I took with me one in the air, my music director. And he was born in Brazil, grew up in Argentina, and so he's trilingual, speaks Portuguese, speaks Spanish, speaks English. And so he's hanging with me. And the young people there and the music there, they, they need his strengths, his gifts. So I then say, Felipe, come on, use your gifts to help them. And so I became the door for Felipe to help you know, the, Spanish, the Spaniards understand how to be able to grow in elements of worship you know, because this guy is phenomenal and he has, has a worship team that he travels with globally. And so he's here and, and I, I became the door. See, the idea is that you don't need to hog the show. You, you don't need to just think only about yourself. You know, there's, there's a great big world out there. And you got to see who you are in that great big world.
One of my heroes is Dr. Billy Graham. Read all of his books. In 1949, the early days of his ministry, he was no household name. Nobody knew who Billy Graham was. But in 1949, William Randolph Hearst, the aging media mogul, somehow he just took a liking to Billy Graham. He sent a two-word message to all of his media outlets, newspapers, you know, printed press, visual press, two words he said to them, Puff Graham. That's media term to mean write good articles, positive articles, bring attention to his ministry. Every opportunity you have, say something about the ministry of Billy Graham, Puff Graham. As a result, Billy Graham in 70 years of ministry has preached to 200 million people globally face to face and over 2 billion people through radio, internet, television. You know, this guy's all over the place. You know, books, Christianity Today magazine, printed resources that have sold millions of copies around the globe. And much of that began when, when William Randolph Hearst simply said, Puff Graham. Here's what is the most incredible thing. Billy Graham said, I've never met William Randolph Hearst, never communicated with him. I have no idea why he then said, Puff Graham. Who is it that you need to puff? Be the door. Three little things that you need to do. Close the door. Open the door. Be the door. Would you stand with me, please? And I want you to take a moment and just close your eyes, block out the world around you. The Holy Spirit just wants to minister to you. Just take a moment. While I was teaching, I'm sure your mind wandered on maybe a conversation you need to have with someone or an organization because you need to close the door. And I want to pray that the Lord gives you the courage, the boldness, and the wisdom, and the right timing to have that conversation. It's going to be messy. It's going to have a lot of emotions associated with it. But the Holy Spirit wants to help you. So, Father, I ask today, go ahead of each one of us. Prepare the hearts of those in which we have to have conversations with. Give us the right words. Give us the right timing. Help us to hear what they have to say but also for them to hear what we have to say and the conclusion we've come to. I pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be there in that meeting. I pray for transformation to occur. And I pray for the result to have lasting fruit. I ask, Lord, that you go ahead of each one of us and open doors that need to be opened so that dreams could be fulfilled, marriages could be healed, singles who are desirous would get wedded. 
money to be made, relationships to grow in health, ministry to take place that's powerful. Lord, do something new for Bethlehem, this church. Let there be influence in Valley Stream and the surrounding communities in a way like we've never desired before, never sought before, never dreamed would ever happen. God, give Bethlehem Assembly of God access into the hearts of people in this region and around the world. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon the church in a fresh way. Pastor Steve and the pastoral team, the staff, the executive leadership. I pray for all the resources that they long for and need will be met in abundance, dear God. 